You're listening to Grace Matters, conversations establishing believers in the truth. Thank you guys for taking time to have a follow-up conversation about fostering. Um, We had a lot of questions from the panel that didn't get touched, which is great. Like we want to have that kind of feedback. So we had a lot of questions that we didn't get to hit. So we're going to hit some of those now. And just a reminder for those, if you haven't listened to the panel conversation already, uh, definitely jump back and do that so that you have context for the other things that we'll talk about now. And to be reminded of what FAM is. Um, We are grateful to have a church that intends to equip the saints for the work of ministry like that's the biblical language for anyways and so we want to make sure that people uh, feel empowered and equipped to do the things that God's led them to do and it's really interesting how over the last couple years um, the families that have been brought to grace by God um, all have very similar desires stirring um, to participate in equipping and encouraging people to foster so FAM is the culmination of some stuff that's been happening for a long time, which is really exciting. Um, so I have uh, Stephen and Rebecca Kelly to, to join us. So thank you for yeah, having this you. conversation. Yeah. Um, one of the things that was asked was how many families at Grace are currently fostering. And that question, I think, was asked because we shared the information of there were X number, I don't remember off the top of my head, but there were X number of children in the system for Harnett County. And then there are X number of churches. And those numbers lined up really well if every church was fostering. But they're not. And so instead, there were, I think, what, 30? There are hosts? 34 fostering families currently in Harnett County. Yeah. For 250? So 150? the number has increased in the last six months from 200 to 250. Okay. So that, this, that does raise an important question. How many families at Grace are fostering? <clears throat> and the answer to that is what? Currently, one. one. Which is you guys. Uh, us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but as I mentioned, there's been this groundswell of <clears throat> other people with these desires. So we have one family who is on the leadership team for FAM that wants to be certified to be able to, to foster. We have another family that is a kinship placement, which we can talk about a little bit more if we want to in a little bit. Um, that's currently in our church. And we have another family who has fostered in the past and they have since uh, adopted and are not currently fostering. Um, so we, I guess, you know, having the, at least the one family who is actively fostering, we kind of meet the quota, but it would be so much more exciting and encouraging to see all these other families equipped as well. Mm-hmm. So that answers that question. Whoever asked that in the Q&A, just one is the current answer. <laughs> but FAM exists to change that number. Um, How do we want to articulate FAM, the Foster and Adoption Ministry, um, engaging the world with the gospel, which is one of our mission statement things, and not just providing this humanitarian service of providing foster homes? How does FAM see this this thing as an outworking of the gospel? So uh, we feel like, you know, uh, Jesus commanded us to serve, you know, those in need. And this is an excellent opportunity, obviously, to to serve the child directly, but also uh, the potential family members that you'll get involved with, 
the social workers, uh, in our case, we actually have uh, one of our uh, foster children have a sibling that's placed in another home and they are not um, believers. And so it gives us the ability to also pour into their family. And so there's kind of a, a wide web, I guess, yeah. of, of places where we can, you know, uh, show our faith and talk about it and, um, you know, just be, be servants. I think part of that is helped by the fact that FAM is not just partnering with, you know, DSS to do training for, you know, in here in Harnett County or, or Wake, but rather with Baptist Children's Homes mm-hmm. to provide that certification. And so I think in conjunction with that, I mean, we look forward to equipping people to see this as an evangelism opportunity, mm-hmm. but but not just the the placement, like not just the child, like right. you just said, but even the other web of relationships that are all connected to that. Um, and I think there is something important to be reminded of the fact that like the way that we practically love people also serves our evangelism. So even the humanitarian, as it were, parts of FAM um, enable us to have further conversations. Um, so that answers that other question that was kind of lingering. One of the ones I thought was really interesting that FAM also has plans to kind of help with is the question was asked, what does a foster child bring when they arrive at your home? So when you guys have gotten, and you've had multiple placements over the last year, so when when you get the call, in addition to a person, what comes with that person into your home? So that varies a little bit, but for the average placement, for the average child coming to your home, not much. And a lot of what they bring with them clothing-wise generally isn't going to fit. So they have just, you know this brief amount of time to pack up as much stuff as they can. Other than our foster daughter, um, everyone else has been an infant. And so, you know, they'll be really in like nine to 12 month clothing and most of what they'll show up with is zero to three month. (laughs) And so even if you get a bag full, most of it's not going to work out. And I would say you probably get a bag to two bags, like trash bags of stuff clothes toys everything okay. um we... to, to, i was gonna say typically the way it works is the the when the the social worker gets there to remove the child from the home they have like 15 minutes mm-hmm. to just grab a couple of trash bags worth of stuff and so they're just sort of grabbing whatever they whatever they can find, they yeah, can yeah. find. um and, you know and, or if the child's old enough uh, you know, so if it's an infant, the social worker will grab the stuff. But if the child's old enough, they're going to grab whatever they deem is important to them. And that may not necessarily be much of anything useful, right? right. Uh, something to keep them comfortable, right? Their favorite stuffed animal or blanket. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe a couple of shirts and some pants. But, you know, they're probably going to forget socks. They're probably going to forget underwear. They'll, you know, there'll be a lot of things like that that definitely get missed. And, and to, to her point... Uh, most of the time, you know, I don't want to overgeneralize it, but from our experience, from our experience, <laughs> the clothing that they've come with has either been way too large or, you know, way too small or okay. something like that. So, so what? So the infants do they arrive in a car seat that you get to keep, or no. like stroller, any of that? No. So, um, our most recent foster child did 
only because he was already in a kinship placement that surrendered him. Okay. And so they brought a lot of stuff that they had purchased for him. They brought okay. and dropped off with him. On average, no. You So when you get prepared to be a foster parent, you're going to have to have whatever you need for that age range. For the most part, we didn't have car seats set up yet, but so we had to go out and buy one the first time we got yeah. an infant placed with us. Um, we did have a really short-term four-day placement. They let us borrow car seats from DSS for that, but that's not how it normally works. Okay. So, and that is something that FAM would also seek to do to serve the families at Grace and that we get connected to over the next few months or years um, by having some uh, various and assorted clothes and toys and blankets and, mm-hmm. and basics ready to go, right? Yeah. Can right. you explain like what you what you guys are planning for that? So when I know we briefly touched on it um, at the last event, but the, so the, the duffel bag ministry is what it's okay. going to be called. And it's going to have a lot of those things that do get overlooked or things that, um, you know, for, for a, a child, um, you know, like an infant, certain size diapers, uh, because you could get them pretty late in the evening. Um, and, you know, a store either might be just closing or have already closed. Yeah. And so sometimes that's not always an option. Right. And so having something set up for our, you know, the, the people that are involved in, in that fan ministry to be able to, to go, uh, to, to one of our, I guess one of our fam members houses to, to pick up that bag yeah. and, and be able to get, uh, toys, uh, you know, a little toy or, you know, a couple of changes of clothes or, you know, whatever it fits that child, you know, toothbrush, things like that. Um, so would it be helpful for folks to donate any of those items to FAM or was it better to, to give you know, money and contribute towards that budget for FAM team to be able to get the stuff? So both, both but okay. what we've, what we've kind of sort of come up with is the ideal, um, what we would want to see in each of those bags and sort of build out like a shopping list for each one and to where that way people aren't just buying random things Mm -hmm. and we don't end up with an entire closet full of size three diapers you know so that way for the people that want to be involved they can and you know even for children and and youth you know one of the things that we're going to do is is try to provide some sort of toy or something for them to entertain themselves with and that is kind of an ever-changing thing as fads come and go. Yeah. And so having asking the children in our church, you know, hey, what's the current thing you like to play with? And maybe get a couple of those to keep on hand. Yeah. So, you know, just stuff like that to make them feel normal and, you know, loved. So we had uh, a great conversation off the record, as it were, um, with the Kelly family. And we talked about this. But uh, so would you recommend taking a placement to target and buying them whatever they see that they like you know, to make up for all the lost time yeah. and all the things. Like, wouldn't that be awesome to just give them all the things? You, you would think that <laughs> going into it. Yeah. So when we went through our training, they did actually caution us not to just go out and buy all the things all yeah. at once. Um, it is a very natural reaction to want to give to a child that has been without um, to, to overcompensate for 
the lack that there has been before, but yeah. um, it it sets it up really bad in, in a couple of different ways. And one is setting up the expectation that every time you go to the store, you're going to get a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, it's overwhelming to them as well to have that much put on them in the beginning. I know our, um, our foster daughter, when she first came into care and she came into care in October to a different foster family before we got her, um, when they asked her what she wanted for Christmas, she said, what was it? A rock, a pine cone and a stick. Cause she didn't know. That's a low bar. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But she didn't even like know what to ask for because she had been without. Yeah. Um, but they, you know, they got her stuff. And now you don't even have to worry. When we go to Target or Walmart, she thinks that she should get at least one thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now we're, we're trying normal. to learn the other direction. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. but what's interesting about that, though, is even though we've, we've gotten her, and, and I will say our family probably went a little overboard, a lot uh, for overboard. the first Christmas she was with us. So and, like, your like your parents. And yes. Okay. Uh, I cannot get them to not spend hordes of money on them but that's grandparents it it is it is but the thing (laughs) is with her that i've noticed is that she doesn't even understand what to do with all of it it's still overwhelming it's so overwhelming to her Mm -hmm. that it 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 just it's it just becomes clutter and it never gets touched and so it's it's kind of a waste of money i mean and it seems (laughs) like counter intuitive to think of it like that but you know when you've been raised a certain way and you 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 know, it's hard to see the other side of that right away, you know, and it takes time, yeah. you know. Well, you guys have already, you know, we've been clear that you're sharing your experience and it's not monolithic. This is not the experience of every foster family, um, but it's still helpful to hear these anecdotes, hear these stories of what's, what has really been your experience. Um, and so in your experience, it sounds like you've been generally aware of the situations out of which your placements have come mm-hmm. and, and the cases of um, your foster daughter, like you know about a sibling and, and where they're living and some other things there. But how, what is a reasonable expectation? Like what are you going to be made aware of when a placement comes to you? Like would you know about significant trauma or do you just kind of find mm-hmm. out over time? Or what is a social worker typically going to be able to share? So that varies. It's basically they'll share with you what they know. So... um They'll share the event or events that took place that okay. had them remove the child from their home. Which are um, probably going to be traumatic. I haven't seen it not be. <laughs> I mean... Well, our our first placements were, were infants and they were neglected. You know? Yeah, so, it was a series so of... Different it was a series of neglect. But, like extended yeah, trauma but, as opposed mm-hmm. to like an inciting event. We think that he got um, caught in the neglect early on. Okay. Um, and so they actually weren't as they weren't traumatized as other children that we've gotten. Okay. So it it does Um, vary. But you'll find that out. Um, you'll know the name or, and the age and the gender, um, of the child. And uh, I mean, there's, there's not Hmm. a lot that they tell you. Some are more than others, um, but generally, like, if they knew of any kind of uh, medical or 
um, mental defect, like uh, not defect, but um, mental health issues. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. In, it, well, any like medical anything diagnosed challenge. That's, that's like, mm-hmm. Right. So you know, if they needed any kind of medications or you know they were on a feeding tube, that sort of stuff. Like yeah, they're yeah. going to tell you that sort of stuff up front. Man. So, but I there's a thought, lot you don't know. What about like? So this is kind of side to that. When you're given a placement, do you have to establish like <clears throat> primary care medically for those? those kids and then yeah or like if there's mental health you you need to then is it on you as the host family the fostering family to find those avenues for care or does the social worker like give suggestions for a pediatrician or for therapy or any of that kind of stuff it's a little bit of a mix so the they have to go to an appointment within the first seven days and A lot of times that's going to be at the health department because they won't be set up with their Medicare or Medicaid or or anything like that yet. Um, After that, it's on you to find daycare. It's on you to find doctors. Um, If there's honestly all kids that go into foster care really should have some mental support for the trauma that was caused by just going into foster care. Um, unfortunately that's not how it's set up, but if you feel that your child is in need of some mental health, um, you have to also fight for that. Um, and you have to advocate for that child to get the help that they need. Um, you've got to get them signed up for school, everything. Yeah, there's like another sideline. So regarding that, then like mental health support, because talking about trauma, like there are no, you know. Well, there are, but one of the best avenues for reconciling trauma is to find a trauma-trained therapist. And so if Medicaid isn't going to cover it, like, is there money available that you can ask for to kind of pay out of pocket for things? Or are you just having to eat that out of pocket if you find, if you find a therapist that's available but doesn't take Medicaid kind of thing? So we did have one of our foster children does see a therapist and it is covered with Medicaid, but okay. you have to, to work to get them into that. Okay. You can take them somewhere, but you would just pay for it on your own. Okay. Um, I think people, we have not, but I think people have added previously to their own health insurance. Oh. But we've not done that route because okay. we, we've had them be covered. Now, the, the level of trauma that they experience will also fast track that. So if okay. the child was exposed to something that was like blatantly just horrific... <laughs> or really damaging to them, yeah. uh, typically they'll, the, the social worker will actually work to... They, they will, like the ones specifically that we've worked with with Harnett County, like they will try to help you with yeah. what they can. Cool. Um, you can imagine they're overloaded oh, at yeah. this moment with cases. But going back to what, what do you know about the child, we had one that came to stay with us who we were told had seen trauma from the father. Um, and we were told she's cautious of men. Yeah. What we didn't know is that she was terrified of taking baths because they didn't know that. So there's stuff that, that just pops up along the way that you don't know because they didn't know. They, how much in, in the training process will that kind of stuff be covered? Like, like recognizing trauma or helping to care for it they, how much of that is pretty they, they, they do spend a good deal of time on that because I mean as you would expect uh, a child being removed from their 
living situation and being plopped into another one, you know, within an hour, uh, is gonna ruffle some feathers. Yeah. And so they they do spend a decent amount of time preparing you for what to see and, cool. and kind of what to expect. You know, one of the things that they talk about is um, the regression of maturity. Okay. On a child, and so kind of what they they say a general rule of thumb is uh, every time a child gets placed into a different living home, uh, they're going to regress about two years in maturity. And so, huh. what 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 you could see is a, a younger child that's maybe potty trained will come to your house, and then all of a sudden they'll start wetting the bed again and peeing, you know, using the bathroom and their clothing. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 part of that regression um, from dealing with the new environment yeah and so that's that's one of the things you know that she and i were uh, trying to be cognitive of uh, whenever we were making a decision to bring a child into our home was all right is this a situation that we think we can handle because yeah. the last thing we want to mm-hmm. do is add to the potential hardship that child's going to go through yeah. and having to be rehomed or something like that right now sometimes it's inevitable and you just can't you know because there are some children that are just difficult and, and or they didn't even know the level of trauma like i said right. like yeah, they tell you one there. trauma but yeah. they didn't know this other one even existed and that turns out to be something that is not something you can handle yep okay um so that was another significant question that was left kind of hanging from the panel from our q a so i'm glad we got to kind of cover some some elements of that there's one question that i didn't even, uh, i missed when i when i was moderating there was this uh, question about therapeutic foster parents. Mm-hmm. What does that mm-hmm. mean? So that's an extra training. Okay. Yeah. So there's some levels that go into kind of more difficult trauma. Oh. And there is, you can become a therapeutic foster home if you go through some like extra training. How much extra? Uh, we haven't looked into that because we're not ready for that yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I will tell you though, in our foster training, like they give you case studies. Sure. Like they give you these actual scenarios of what's happened <clears throat> and they ask you to kind of try to figure out what you think might be the outcome for the child. Well, out of the 34 total foster homes in Harnett County, how many of those would be therapeutic? That's a great question. Man. I would imagine that's a, a low number, yeah. right. if any, right. to be I, honest. I think a lot of, you know, there are some therapeutic group homes. Okay. And I think a lot probably end up in a therapeutic group home if they're to the level of needing a therapeutic family. Okay. Is that is that another training that Baptist Children's Homes can do? Or is that need to... Is that, more specific to that's a great question uh, yeah i don't know that we <laughs> can really answer that. uh, that's <laughs> because it's just not something yeah it's i mean we know what it no, is that's but fine. that's definitely not something that we personally have tried to embark on yeah. with our yeah. own journey yet yep um we know we can't handle that at currently. this stage of life yeah. so we no, have I mean, not gone that far into asking what to do to to get into it it's helpful to know that, that is another category that that's yes. another level of and, and need frankly yes. probably for our our area um so what are I ask one more general question and then a couple specific ones to you guys again so what are some of the long-term goals for fam like when you guys are having your leadership team meetings um, and you're brainstorming I know some of you are probably like big picture people and some people are down in the weeds and the details so like when you're talking that long term like what do you 
hope for in five years or something like that for fam? Like, what would you like to see in that in that time? Well, <laughs> um, I think our goal is to try and bring on at least two new foster families from Grace okay. every year. Okay. Um, and then as we set up the the duffel bag ministry and have the, the trainings that are happening here, our hope is to start kind of, for the lack of a better term, franchising what we do yeah. to where other churches can basically take our framework and process and actually start implementing it in, in their locations as well. Cool. Uh, one of the, the big things is the, the resource guide mm-hmm. um, that we're working on. Um, that actually may be the most useful thing that we're, mm-hmm. we're doing. Yeah. Like, like when you asked, do you get told a list of doctors? And uh, no, like you have to find out all of that. So we're trying to put together a guide that'll have like all the local doctors that are in network for Medicaid, the dentists, the daycares that accept the vouchers, um, therapists and that sort of stuff. Like everyone, everything that you need as a resource. Um, because when we jumped in, we were just, we didn't know anyone, um, that was doing foster care and we didn't really know anything that was available to us. Um, But I think, you know, there are some other like ideas we've had down the road of like being a community of support for those around us. You know, the the 34 foster families that are currently here, like being able to support with support groups for the parents, um, being able to have support groups for the children that are in foster care that have been adopted because their experiences are so unique. Um, as far as like not every child has to go through what they've been through and just being able to develop that support system for all involved in it. Um, as well as being able to put on events for like specifically for like fun and education and all of that sort of stuff just to enrich their lives. So yeah, two families a year. 10 families in five years is not unreasonable, especially given how our church extends into functionally three counties. Mm -hmm. We have people in Wake County and in Hart County and in Johnston County. And so I think um, the franchising model would be really cool too, to like see a church in those counties as well um, begin to offer that kind of localized resource guide and localized support for those families. I think that's a really compelling vision. I hope that other people are excited about that too. Uh, so we will be um, hosting an interest meeting on March 26th. My plan is to get the podcast edited and put out way before then. And so if you're <laughs> listening to this, you should have time to go to graceccnc.org and register for that interest meeting where you can ask even more specific questions or get to meet the Kelly family if you haven't had a chance to in person yet uh, and talk about some of these things. So make plans for that if you haven't yet. Um, But lastly, I want to ask these two kind of specific questions for y'all. Again, we've heard a lot of your story kind of woven into the answers to these questions. But what has been the hardest experience as a foster family? Or like the the worst moment uh, in this process with your placements or with folks that you're currently caring for? What's been the hardest thing? Would you like to go first? You can go first. (laughs) Well, I, I probably have two. 
So <clears throat> I, I wouldn't say that I have a specific moment um, that has been the hardest, but I would say learning to be, I guess, patient <laughs> with the system has been very trying for me um, because, you know, it's okay. Yes, it's government workers, right? That, right. right. I mean, not that there's not social workers that care clearly, but to be fair, the social workers are overworked, right? right? I mean, they've got way more children on their plate than they're probably supposed to have. Yeah. And it's just hard to show that level of care for every single one of them all the time. Yeah. Um, but there's also people higher up or in different areas that affect these children's lives where they, in my opinion, don't seem to care as much to get it done in a hurry. And so um, just learning to be patient with the process because as, as a foster parent or family, you actually, you know, you work on behalf of the state. You actually have no rights to the children. Right. Um, and so, we, you know, you really don't have a leg to stand on to try to force anything as far as, you know, court proceedings or anything like that. And so that, that's been something that was frustrating for me. And I've kind of just gotten to the point now to where I'm just... Just roll with it. Just roll with it. It's <laughs> going to happen when it happens. And that's just that. Yeah. Um, but then the, the second thing is having to deal with uh, children who were either not parented at all or horribly parented <laughs> um, and, you know, having to, to, you know, come in and put, you know, borders up for that child yeah. and get them to learn to operate inside of them. Um, that's been probably the hardest thing for me. Yeah. Um, because you know, it, it takes a lot of effort to, to take a child that's, you know, had all this freedom to do all these things right. and then like, okay, well that was wrong. Here's how things yeah. are going to be now. And they're going to resist that, you yeah. know? And so, um, that's hard not to set boundaries for biological kids. <laughs> well, that's true, right? And you know, and so you know, and that's, but that part of it is kind of a thing where you know, even your own biological kids, yes, you can run into that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so th th those are my two. So my hardest is much on a more emotional level, I think, um, because one of the most common things that gets said to us is. Oh, I couldn't do that because I'd get attached to the kids and you do. Right. And so, you know, we had one that was kind of a surprise when she left. And that was probably the toughest part for me. Is was she placed into a kinship placement? Or? She was. Okay. Yeah. She went from us. Um, I don't want to get too far into the details of it, right. but it was not really a decision I agreed with on right. top of that. Um, but it's tough when you care and they leave. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, if it didn't affect you, if it didn't make you sad, you're not doing it right. Like if you're not willing to like give the love that they need while they're there, then you're you're not providing what they need. Yeah. And so it's going to be tough when they leave. Um even if it's on good terms, it's it's still something that sticks with you. The we had twins. Our first placement ever oh, wow. was twins. 
Um, and we knew they were short term. Okay. There was like this 1% chance that they would stay. Yeah. Um, they were with us for four days. They were the cutest things. Uh, they were 11 months old. And I mean, I still think about like they're three now. Mm. And you think about like, what are they up to? What are yeah. they doing? What do they look like? Like if it, it's going to affect you, but you're also an adult and you're being there for a child during their hardest time. And a child yeah. didn't ask to go through that hard time. Yeah. So even though that's like one of the hardest parts of it from our standpoint, it's so their, their life's been so much harder. Yeah. And to me, the little bit of pain and struggle to go through to enrich and better the life of a child that's going through like the worst scenario ever. Yeah. I think that's worth it. So what has been the best moment um, or the, the most rewarding or encouraging experience so far? Do you want me to go first on this one? <laughs> sure. Okay. So two things. Okay. One was figuring out, that red food dye was affecting one of our foster children um, to the point where she had been uncontrollable. And just going through that process of figuring that out and seeing the change it made in her and knowing that had she not been in our care, would that have ever been figured out? Yeah, I mean, they hadn't figured it out up until that point. No, she had been with, I mean, her birth family, a kinship placement and a previous foster family and no one no one knew that that was one of her biggest problems that was causing her aggression that was causing her anger and causing her lack of control and so i it was really like encouraging to feel like you've you've made it whether or not she stays with you forever you made that difference the other one was one we touched on briefly earlier the one that we knew was afraid of men that we didn't know was afraid of baths yeah um and i might be hinging on your moment um (laughs) It was to see her be okay with Stephen holding her at the end and to yeah. put her in a bath and have to move that bath to the bathtub because she was enjoying it so much that she was splashing and playing in it. And just knowing that even if you only have them for a little bit of time, that you made enough difference in their lives to make things better. Yeah. Sorry. So she, she stole a little bit of my thunder. I did. <laughs> uh, but I will say... Uh, I think just in general, um, watching a kid that's going through arguably the worst moment in their life, the worst time, the worst time frame in their life, even if they're an infant, you know, they, they realize that something's not the same. Right. Um, and watching them grow to be comfortable with you and treat you as now you're their parent and that level of trust and that bond that they get is really cool yeah. um you know and it's just nice to have little infants snuggle with you and that, stuff yeah a little warm head um, is nice to snuggle yeah even though they keep you up and you turn into true. a zombie yep. but you know that's just normal parenting so right but even when um you know you've been with a child for a little bit and they turn to you and they're like i love you mm-hmm. you know and just knowing that you you changed something for them yeah yeah well we look forward to seeing 10 families over the next five years have similar experiences and be able to share similar stories. Um, So again, if you have not yet thought about it, uh, consider these things that uh, point to God's goodness being very practically displayed in the lives of children, and 250 of whom need that in Harnett County alone. So we'll be talking more about FAM over the next year, 
especially as we continue to unroll and un- unveil these uh, different elements of that ministry as the team gets things settled. Um, if you have any questions, please shoot an email to gracematters at graceccnc.org and we'll continue to follow up. And again, we thank you for taking time to talk with us. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having us.